Hello and welcome back to Minus 16, the podcast where we like to talk about everything that is Apple. And it's been a busy old couple of weeks, actually. I know I did a filler podcast last week, a filler, still myself down, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Looking back at the peak performance event, that was kind of a little extra bonus, a bonus podcast, that's better than a filler, a bonus podcast. But uh, it's been quite a busy week since then. And I'm going to start off with iPhone news, actually. And it all got a little bit quiet. Since, I guess, the end of last year, John Prosser put out some renders towards the end of last year. And since then, news about the iPhone 14, which will be out uh, sometime around about September time. It's a uh, usual time of year it comes out. It's all gone a little bit quiet, but it's uh, gone bonkers this week. And to start with, we now know that we're not getting any iPhone mini in the 14 lineup. So if you're a lover of that little diddly iPhone, the little mini little small people, <laughs> then uh, go and buy one now, the 13, because you will not be able to get one in the next iteration of iPhone. It would appear that all the data they're getting is suggesting that they're just not very popular. They're not selling very well. And what does a company do when things don't sell well? That's right. They discontinue it. So there will only be four models in the new iPhone 14 range when it comes out. At the moment, they're working under code names of D27. D28 for the regular phones and D73 and D74 for the larger pro phones. There will only be two display sizes this year as well, a 6.1 inch display and a 6.7 inch display. And uh, of course, we've got to start talking about the, the notches now. No Apple podcast or no Apple correspondent or reporter is complete if you're not talking about the notches. So it is my job so to do. And uh, well, on again, there are going to be a couple of differences on the two ranges of phones. It's hard to know how to differentiate them, but you know what I mean when I talk about the two ranges of phones. If I talk about the regulars and the pros, I'm sure you know what I mean. Well, the regular two iPhones are going to have the same notch as this year. And it's only when you look at the two larger phones, the Pro and Pro Max, that uh, you're going to get this new, what's now being called, pill and notch. I'm sure you've seen the pictures of it. I'll try and leave some links to renders in the show notes for this podcast as well, if you fancy taking a look at them. But basically, you're getting like an elongated oval shape plus the little round circle by the side of it. So yes, some have said it looks like an eye if you turn it upside down, but we're not getting into all that uh, hyperbole. They're there for a reason. And the longer um, pill-shaped part of the punch is for the Face ID infrared, and the new hole is for the Face ID projector. So that's what they're actually doing, but you're only going to get those on the two larger phones. If you buy the two, either of the two regular iPhone 14s, nothing will have changed. The bezels are going to be smaller and slimmer, it would seem, from these latest renders that we've received this week. And I have put them out on, on a video I did this week, actually, so you'll be able to see them there as well. But the renders clearly show that the bezels are slimmer and smaller than they have been. The speaker is going to remain at the top, and that's going to be embedded into one of those smaller bezels. Are you really hung up on this whole bezel thing? It doesn't really worry me too much at all. Uh, they've kind of been there on iPhone forever and a day, and it's only since, I guess, actually, with the MacBook Pros when they started talking about the notch. And then, of course, it was the bezels on the, on the uh, iMacs last year it's only since then that I've paid any attention to this furore that surrounds notches and bezels. They're there for a reason. They do a job. It really doesn't get me uh, get my blood pressure too high. But there you go. It seems it does with other people. So I just thought I'd mention to you 
how it's going to be appearing on this year's iPhones. And these renders do seem reasonably well locked in as well. They seem to be coming from decent sources. So we're fairly confident this is how the phone is going to look. Now, the camera inside is rumoured to be growing, ever-growing. As you know, the cameras are one of the most important parts of a smartphone. And uh, it would appear that that could be up to 48 megapixels. So it could be a big old camera bump with, we've talked about the operating system having to increase and uh, to go with it, along with it. And also the gig storage on the phone is going to increase, we think, to eight because possibly of the amount of data this new camera is going to be taking in. But uh, of interest when talking about the camera is the actual physical design of the iPhone. On the renders that John Prosser put out towards the end of last year, he had suggested on the information he had at that point that the iPhone itself was going to be somewhat thicker. And the part of that thickness was A, to facilitate a thicker, a bit deeper battery. So you've got more energy to run the thing. And also, and of a more aesthetic uh, important part of the conversation here, was that it was going to be thicker and then there'd be no camera bump on the back of the iPhone. It'd be flush. Now, on the renders he put out, it looked insanely beautiful. And it's a real shame that that's not going to be the case now. It looks like that the camera bump is still very much there. And, uh, of course, the camera bump is kind of annoying because when you put it, I don't know about you, I'm, I run case-free. It's kind of like having a Rolls Royce and then put it in a mini skin. I used to put cases on phones and I haven't for about the last year. Now, I know it's tempting fate that something awful is going to happen to my phone, but I just love the shape and touch and feel of them. They are designed beautifully. So to put a case around them, oh, it's horrible. Anyway, that detracts from what I was talking about, which was the point that... If you don't have a case on your phone, and I'm one of the few that don't, then the bump makes your phone rock a little bit when it's on the desk. I know, not a big problem, I can hear you saying that, but uh, it would have been lovely if the cameras could have been flushed to the back of the phone. But uh, apparently it is not going to be. Now, I mentioned that on the front of the phone, there is going to be the differentiation between the two ranges of phones in the new lineup with the pillar notch or the regular notch at the top, well, that's not where the differences end. For the first time in around about uh, 10 years, there are going to be different chips inside of the phone. You'd have to go all the way back to the five, uh, iPhone 5C and iPhone 5S. Now, yes, they were more bargain phones, but there were two different chips inside of those phones all of those years ago. I think it was the A7 and A, A6 and A7 that were inside of those phones. But it's the last time that Apple have released two phones in the same year, same model year, that have got different chips inside them. Well, on Twitter over the last week, both Mark Gurman and Kuo Ming Shi have come out to say they are pretty sure that we're going to be having different chips inside of this year's phones. So it's going to break down like this. On the two regular phones, you're going to get the current A15 Bionic chip. Now, what they will do is use the better of the A15 Bionic chips because this year in the regular phones, you had a kind of slightly slimmed down version of the chip where there was, I think, one less GPU core. And in the pro range of this year's phones, you've got the full quantity, the full quota of GPU cores. So I think they're going to be using the best chip, as it were, of the A15 Bionic. That will go into the uh, regular range on iPhone 14. And then in the top 
end range of the iPhone 14 will be the brand new chip that we've not yet seen, the A16 Bionic chip. Now, what do you make of that? Uh, there's two ways of looking at it, isn't there? It could just be that Apple wants to make more money and are creaming the A15 chip for all they possibly can. Can't fault them for that. They're a company. They want to make returns on their investments. So if that is the reason they're doing it, fair enough. The other reason could, of course, be that there is still a chip shortage. And even though that didn't seem to be affecting Apple too much with the release of the Mac Studio, uh, and on recording of this podcast, the Mac Studio is being released tomorrow uh, to the general public. I saw that the review units, it was quite funny, actually, on the day of recording this, which is um, on the Thursday of a certain week that I was recording this, uh, the embargo clearly lifted on the review units being sent out to the big players on YouTube, the Peter McKinnons of this world, the Justines of this world. And suddenly at one o'clock UK time, it was ping, 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 ping. All the reviews were up. So uh, I, th I know YouTube is going to be awash with reviews. But I only mention the Mac Studio because of the fact that they seem to get those to market very quickly after the event, the peak performance event, which would have suggested to me that there wasn't a particular delay on chips for them. But... It could be that they're struggling with chips for iPhone. And I suppose, realistically, the amount of chips they would need for iPhone are going to be a lot greater than they would be for Mac Studio. So maybe that's the problem. So either which way, there's uh, not, obviously none of us are sure what the real reason behind it is. But there are going to be two different chips inside of iPhone 14 this year. Apple have done it before. There is a precedent for that. Back in 2020, they did it with an iPad where they used the A12Z chip in the same model year as another iPad. And also with Apple Watch last year, they did exactly the same thing. They called it Apple Watch 7 and they renamed the chip to S7. But in actual fact, it was a very minor few changes they made to the SOC, the system on chip that was in the iPhone 6. So pretty much it was the same chip, just a few minor changes. So they have done this before where they've used either the same chip or very small variations of a chip in the same model year and uh, marked them as different uh, chips. But um, this is, it definitely seems to be what's happening if everything that is uh, being rumoured this week is to be believed. Now, the other thing is, with the fact that we've got these two levels of chips in the phone, it means that we could be getting, for the first time ever, one of the large screen phones, 14 Max, for, which is the 6.7-inch screen, for under £1,000. Best bet, I reckon, is they're going to come in at around about £899. That would seem a good price point. And then it would kind of justify the fact they've got two different chipsets in these iPhone 14s. The fact that you can buy a large screen phone for under £1,000, and I think that would be an absolute steal and probably would go down ever so well. Does it interest you? And are you waiting to get your hands on an iPhone 14? Or don't you think it's got enough changes in it for you? And uh, there's one other feature that came back to light this uh, week as well about iPhone 14, and that is satellite. If you remember, just before the conference last year, the iPhone conference last year, rumours were abound that uh, Apple had been looking into satellite connections. So it's going to be low-fly satellites, and you, if you didn't have any connection, data connection on your phone, and if you needed to make an emergency SOS uh, message to somebody that you're in danger, you'd be able to do it via satellite. It all gone quiet again. But once again, this week, rumors on Twitter had surfaced that Apple are very much still looking into that. The smart money is that it won't be developed enough in time for this year's release, but it looks like it's something that uh, the guys at Apple are still very much working towards. And uh, one other bit of iPhone news is the 5G iPhone SE that was released at peak performance last week. 
it's a very important phone to Apple, even though it's their budget phone. And uh, it's, I think, well, it went up slightly in price, didn't it, to £429. The main reason it's such an important part of the iPhone arsenal to Apple is the amount of Android users they're hoping to swap over from Android to iPhone. And the latest financial reports I saw from financial analysts was that they expect to ship up to 30 million units of that one phone this year. 30 million units just of the 5G uh, iPhone SE that we saw last week, resplendent in that lovely new red. And uh, that's all I've got on iPhone news for just at the moment. I'm sure there'll be more to come in the upcoming weeks. And in the show notes, there will be a link also if you want to grab yourself some wallpapers for your iPhone. I've got them on my Mac as well. So there's some new wallpapers in there that were released with the 5SE last week. And uh, they are absolutely beautiful. I've got them on my phone at the moment and they look divine, absolutely divine. And if you want to grab those wallpapers for yourself, there'll be some links in the show notes to this podcast. Don't forget, if you want to get in touch with me in between podcasts, it's really easy to do. You can hook up with me on Twitter. You'll find me there, D Talking Tech. You can DM me there. Or, of course, just email me, which is david at talkingtechandaudio.com. And if you're over on the website, why don't you leave me your contact email address and I'll put you on the mailing list. I send out a member's little catch-up newsletter every Sunday, just letting you know what I'm up to, what things on my mind, what things I've got coming up on the channel, what my thoughts and ruminations are. So if you want to be part of that mailing list, then pop on over to the website and leave me your details there. iOS 15.4 was released this week as well. And I put it onto my phone, onto my iPads. And uh, some of the main differences you may notice, there's some share play features that have been uh, updated. There's new emojis. Uh, there's a melting face, pregnant man. <laughs> Don't even. And uh, yeah, anyway, some new emojis in there. If emojis tickle you, universal control, I'll come back to in just a moment. And uh, there's a new Siri voice as well. There's also a new um, operating system for the Mac, which I put on my Macs too. So that's important because with the new operating system on the Mac, and the new, which is 12.3, by the way, the uh, Mac operating system. And with 15.4 on your iPads, you have now got universal control that I just mentioned a moment ago. And it is amazing. It doesn't work straight out the out of the uh, can, I've found. You have to go into displays in your control center and just turn on the use of universal control. But once you've done that, it just works. And it is just the weirdest thing. It really is to be able to move your mouse straight off a Mac screen and straight onto an iPad and begin working on the iPad. So you can use the keyboard from your Mac to type on your iPad. You can use the mouse from your Mac to open apps on the iPad, press play, pause, whatever you want to do. And also drag and drop. I tried taking some PDF files from my Mac and I had, you have to have the right applications open, but so I had the, the files application open on my iPad and you can just drag and drop files straight in. It's, it's weird. I think I'm reasonably well switched on with tech, but seeing that working today was, I was like a kid in a candy store. I kept saying, what, what? How can that possibly be? Try it out for yourself. It's universal control. It's part of the new, as I said, the releases this week on 15.4 iOS and 12.3 for Mac OS. Something else that I um, wrote a blog about this week was our iPads getting a little bit confused. What does David mean by that? Well, what I'm meaning is there seems to be a lot of iPads that are vying for a similar position now and all around similar money. So at peak performance last week, iPad Air was given a bit of a revamp. It was given the M1 chip. 
It was given a new color. It was given 5G, the 12 megapixel ultra wide camera. So now you can make great conference calls on it. It's got center stage on it. It's got a liquid retina, 10.9 inch display. All of that was coming in at a price of 599 pounds. Well, for just a couple of hundred pounds more than that, you can get the basic iPad Pro. But there are very few differences between those two devices now. And I'm wondering, it'd be interesting to hear from you, what would sway you to go from an iPad Air to an iPad Pro? I mean, it gets even more confusing because the iPad mini that I've got, £479, and that is a demon of a device. Yeah, okay, you're not high-end, but this I'll come on to that in just a moment. Don't forget, you've also got the iPad 3rd gen, which comes in at £329. Yes, it's the most basic of the iPads. Yes, you're missing out on some of the fancier features, but it still does the job. And my point of using the Mac Mini, I've never had an iPad Pro. I've not had an iPad Air. I'm really happy with the iPad Mini. And for why? As heavy a Mac user as I am, I just can't see a point where I would sit and use an iPad really seriously heavily. And that's not just me. It's borne out in the fact that indeed Apple haven't developed any apps for the iPad that you could use in a very heavy, productive way. Okay, I'm an Adobe user, so my videos I edit in Premiere Pro and my podcasts, such as this one, I edit in Adobe Audition. But let's say if you're in the Apple system and using Final Cut Pro or Logic Pro, they don't yet make those for iPad. And the amount of power, we've well, got the M1 chip in it now, which is the same chip that's in the 24-inch iMac, the same chip that's in the MacBook Air and in some of the basic um, uh, other some of the basic Macs that are out there too. The Mac Mini, sorry, I was just, I went blank on what I was trying to get out there. The Mac Mini. Then it's the same chip that's in those machines. It's, and we know on those machines, you can clearly edit audio, you can clearly edit video. So it's just odd that suddenly you've got this chip in an iPad, but you haven't got the, the, the grunt, the umph, the apps to go with it to make that chip worthwhile. And I'm a little bit confused by Mac, uh, by iPad, I must say, because you've got so much power there and it doesn't seem to be able to be used on a lot, which is why I'm more than happy with my iPad mini. It does everything I want. I use it for content, watching, uh, emailing, you know, all the basic stuff. And it's absolutely perfect. And of course, Twitter. But one thing that I would say is that the iPads come, well, certainly, yeah, it starts off at 64 gigs of storage. And I think we need to make a petition starting right now that 64 gigs of storage on any device in 2022 is just not enough. By the time you take into account the operating systems that are always getting larger, you're getting less and less space. And at 64 gigs, by the time you've got a few files on there, don't even think about a game, you're going to be out of storage. It's wrong that you should be buying an iPad in this day and age and looking over your shoulder from day one, wondering if you've got enough storage left. So I think the starting storage should always be now at 128 gigs. It seems to make sense. And that's not only Apple. I think some of the Samsung tablets are the same. But uh, again, let me know what your thoughts are. I just think we need to get more storage on those tablets, base storage. It's the, it would seem to be the way forward. And talking of storage, do you think we'll ever see 
expandable storage on an iPad? Do you think we'll see an SD card slot on there, for instance? Wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> just imagine being able to slot a card into a little slot on an iPad and just have immediate access to some files like that. I don't know if that's something Apple have got in mind or not, but uh, my fingers are crossed that maybe one day that would happen. I mean, hey, you've gone out and bought the iPad. You've spent the money on Apple. I'll even buy the card. I'm not expecting to give me the SD card as well, but just give me the option to use some expandable storage. You'll listen to me, David, and this is the Minus 16 podcast. So I thought we'd round out this particular episode of Minus 16 talking about Mac Studio. I mentioned a little bit earlier on, on recording of this, the first uh, videos are already out on YouTube about what some of the bigger content creators are making about it. I'm going to settle down and watch that later on myself. And uh, is available to the general public the day after the recording of this podcast. So I'm sure by the time you listen to this and you're on YouTube, you will have seen what some of the reviews are coming in like. I can't expect anything but good things on both the studio display that I desperately want and the Mac Studio as well. But uh, I thought we'd just look at the Mac Studio. What they've done, of course, is taken the M1 Mac chip and bonded it together with UltraFusion, which is a fantastic, ingenious approach they've taken to not lose any data by the way of bonding these two chips together. Normally, when you put two chips together, there is a certain loss. You don't just double up the amount of speed, RAM, unified memory from one chip to the other. But with this UltraFusion that Apple have developed, it is exactly double. I mean, the proof will be in the pudding by the time the reviewers begin looking at it uh, on YouTube over the course of the next couple of days. But we're given to believe that's what they've done. And Apple don't normally lie about that much. They might be fragrant sometimes with their graphs and some of the figures they give us. But I'm sure if they're saying it's double, it will be double because they've based the whole machine on the fact of these speeds that they're getting. So let's just look at the M1 Ultra chip inside of Mac Studio. If you were to start that off with the basic M1 Studio, the starting price for that is £3,999. Now, don't get me wrong, that's a hell of a lot of money. These things are being aimed at professional users, so presumably the kind of people that are using it will be making money from it. But hey, it's, it's their money. They can spend it how they wish. But it is a lot of money for a desktop computer. But for that 3000 well, let's call it £4,000, you're getting uh, 48 gigs of unified memory, a terabyte of storage, at least that's good. They've they put a reasonable amount of storage in there, 20-core CPU, a 48-core GPU, and 32-core neural engine. But don't forget, as I said, that is just the starting point. <laughs> it gets a bit dirty now. Sit down, brace yourself. If you want to spec this machine out, you can go all the way up to 64-core GPU, 128 gigs of unified memory. Now, getting, don't forget, until this year, people were doing a lot of content creation on 16 and 32 gigs and saying it was flying. It was never stuttering at all. There was no spinning beach balls. So we're going from 32 gigs of unified memory up to 128 gigs. That's an 800 pounds, an 800 pounds uplift for that. And you could also, if you really wanted to, put in eight terabytes of storage. So if you added on the 8 terabytes of storage and the 128 gigs of unified memory and the 64-core GPU, you are up to, all but £1, £7,000. But hey, the good news is delivery is free. Now, <laughs> I've kind of already made my mind up that uh, the Mac Studio, I don't think, is for me. I'd love to have it on the desk. I'd love to try it. And until recently, it might have been an option. But as of now, I'm working out of two locations. So it's more important to 
for me as things stand right now to have some flexibility of where I can work. So I'm thinking the clever money, and again, I'm, I'm sure that the Mac Studio is beyond my needs. I'll come to that in just a moment. So I'm thinking where the Lewis money might go is on a MacBook Pro 16-inch with an M1 Max chip in it uh, and 32 gigs of unified memory and then a studio display as well. Okay, so I'll be leaving the studio display at one of my places where I work. But equally, if I've then got the 16-inch MacBook Pro, although it's a smaller screen, it's actually a better screen because it's 120 hertz refresh rate and it's mini LED and it's brighter as well. So although I'll be working on a smaller screen, I'll still be working on the most beautiful screen that Apple make outside of their Pro Display XDR. Uh, So I think that's the way I'm going to go with it. But looking at this Mac Studio, uh, and there's, there's talk, don't forget, we've still got the Mac Pro to come. We know we've got the Mac Pro to come because Senior Vice President of Hardware Engineering at Apple, John Turner, said at the event, we've got one more machine to go and that's the Mac Pro. Everyone's been soundbiting that over the last couple of weeks. So we know that's coming, which makes you wonder where they're going to go with that. Now, looking at the Mac Studio we've got at the moment, I think it's for a handful of people out there. Uh, Seriously, a handful of people. I can't think of many YouTube content creators that would need the amount of power that that machine has on it already. That's even before we get to Mac Pro. The only thing they can do with Mac Pro possibly is make it more modular. That was always its strength. You could add bits and pieces in as you grew. Now, because of the system on chip development, I don't think it's going to be modular in the sense that we've known it, unless they can do something super, super clever. But, uh, I mean, if that's talking about being twice the speed of the current Mac Studio, four times the speed of the M1 Max, it's, (laughs) it's getting to the point, I think, Apple are just proving what they can do without, I don't know, who is going to be needing that kind of speed? I really don't. I guess possibly movie creators, heavy, heavy 3D renderers. They're the only people I can think if you're using seriously heavy amounts of camera footage, multi-layered. They're the only people I can think are going to need anything approaching a Mac Pro. This Mac Studio is already more powerful than the existing Mac Pros. It is smoking it in all of the tests so far. And I've only watched a couple of the videos from some creators that have had it slightly ahead of time. And export and rendering times are down by 50% on the Mac Studio to the current and much more expensive Mac Pro. So heavens only knows where we're heading with that. But uh, it's an exciting time and it's going to be a busy old year for Mac, that's for sure, For with the Mac Pro still to come. And we're pretty sure that the M2 chip is going to be coming out this year. And that, of course, means that there'll be a raft more machines being released in turn with the M2 chip in it. Don't forget the M2 is not more powerful than the M1 Max, M1 Ultra, and so on. It is merely replacing the original M1 chip. Uh, And that, we're told, is coming out this year. I think it'll be going into the MacBook Air later in the year, possibly a budget MacBook Pro. And again, we're expecting it to go into the low-end Mac Minis. But the transition is virtually complete now over to Apple Silicon. And the only other thing I haven't mentioned is the demise of the large iMac. I wrote a blog on that. I have worked on a 27-inch, very highly specced iMac for the last six years. 2015, I bought it, and it's been my daily machine for all of those years. It's seen me through thick and thin, good days, bad days, bad client meetings, stressful situations. It's done all sorts. And... uh, It's a sad day that it's gone. It's a beautiful machine. It's probably the most iconic of all of the iMacs with that 
a big chin, the logo at the bottom, the black bezels. Of course, it started life off as a much thicker machine. And do you know, it was originally going to be called the Mac Man. It was only when Steve Jobs was talking to his ad agency, they said, no, we cannot possibly call it Mac Man. They came up with the moniker of iMac. And luckily, that has stuck. And that's what we've been working with ever since. But in the current lineup, it wouldn't seem that there's a place for the larger iMac anymore. So it uh, looks like we're going to be using iMac just only as the 24-inch version that was left uh, released last year. And even if a larger iMac were eventually to come back, I don't think you're going to get the high-level chips in there. I think it's always going to be the base chips that are in there. So, for instance, they might release it with an M2. But Kuoming Chi did mention on his... He, even he seems to be flip-flopping on the latest tweet I read. He said he thinks there will be another iMac 27-inch at some point. But I, I'm, again, I'm just not sure if there's a need for it because... You've got the Mac Minis, and certainly with the Mac Studio, now with, a, the, of course, the Mac Studio display, sorry, the Studio display is the iMac display. It's been lifted and put into new body, but that's it. Um, and I, I think that display is amazing. I know it is expensive for a display, but it is a 5K display, and it's got speakers, six speakers in it, and it's got a 12-megapixel ultra-wide angle camera in it, and it's got great microphones in it, three of them. So it's a hell of a display. So if you couple that display to a Mac Mini or you put that display along with the Mac Studio, I don't see where the iMac, the larger screen iMac, is going to sit because you've got the panel from the 27-inch iMac in the Studio display. Why would you need to go and get an iMac as well? I don't see where it fits in their range, but uh, I guess, again, only time will tell. And that's pretty much all the news I wanted to bring you on this edition of Minus 16. Don't forget, as ever, if you want to get in touch with me in between podcasts, you can do that by emailing me, david at talkingtechandaudio.com or hook up with me on Twitter. It's been lovely catching up with you again, and I'll be back here with more Apple news in around about a fortnight's time. Take care, and I'll speak to you real soon. 